0: Back to the daily poem. I'm David Kern. Today's poem is from Edna Saint Vincent Millay, who you've heard from before on this show. She lived from 1892 to 1950, and was known, as Richard Wilbur asserted, as the writer of some of the best sonnets of the century. The sonnet that I'm going to read today is "What My Lips Have Kissed," and where and why. And I'll go ahead and read it, and then I'm going to offer some comments um, from a book that I particularly am fond of that has something to say about this poem and about sonnets in general. So I'll get right to the poem, and then we'll think about it. What Lips My Lips Have Kissed, and Where, and Why? By Edna St. Vincent Millay What lips my lips have kissed, and where, and why, I have forgotten And what arms have lain under my head till morning But the rain is full of ghosts tonight the tap and sigh upon the glass and listen for reply, and in my heart there stirs a quiet pain for unremembered lads that not again will turn to me at midnight with a cry. Thus in the winter stands the lonely tree, nor knows what birds have vanished one by one, yet knows its boughs more silent than before. I cannot say what loves have come and gone, I only know that summer sang in me a little while that sings in me no more. It's a bummer of a poem, right? <laughs> um, maybe that's maybe it's a good winter poem. It's cold here in North Carolina, cold and drizzly and rainy and breezy and all that. I've been thinking about poetic forms a lot, just in working on some of my own poems and in thinking about the show and which episodes to do, which which poems to read for each episode. And uh, I keep coming back to the sonnet and I keep thinking about how in the school, the students that I've taught and the students that I was in school with, both in you know higher ed and in high school viewed the sonnet as this sort of early modern form suited for Shakespeare and silly romantic poems and things like that. And there's a misunderstanding about that, I think. In their book, The Making of a Poem, a Norton Anthology of Poetic Forms, Mark Strand and Yvonne Boland say this about the sonnet. On one level, the sonnet suits our world. Despite the fact that its origins are in the formality and decorum of Italian court poetry, it has kept pace with some of the most important developments in modern poetry. To start with, it's short, easily comprehended, and its historic structure still opens the way for a living debate and subtle argument. One of the characteristics of recent poetic history on both sides of the Atlantic has been a tension between lyric and narrative. The sonnet is able to take place in the debate to suggest narrative progress through its sequence structure while in single units it is capable of the essential lyric qualities of being musical, brief, and memorable. Contemporary poets for over 200 years have continued to be drawn to the sonnet, but few modern poets have been willing to commit themselves to the major architectural sequences of a Petrarch or a Shakespearean. Instead, the sonnet, with either the couplet at the end or the octave sestet structure, has become a part of speech. Most poets have used it at one time or another— some of the finest sonnets in the language have been written by poets who were only occasional sonneteers, such as Yeats. End quote. But then they speak specifically about this poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay. And this is what they write. Millay's command of the sonnet was distinctive and unusual. Instead of taking a more leisurely pace of the public sonnet that had been the 19th century model, she drove her sonnets forward with a powerful lyric music and personal emphasis. Her sonnets rely heavily on sibilance and assonance and alliteration. They are pieces of music to such an extent that they almost destabilize the tradition of the sonnet as a measured argument. Here, she uses her distinctive music and high diction to produce an unusually quick-paced poem in the first octave, and then a slower, more reflective sestet where the abandoned lover becomes a winter tree. This ability of the sonnet to accommodate both lyric and reflective time made it a perfect vehicle for 20th century poets like Malay. End quote. Of course, this... This transition that happens at the end of the octave, at the end of those first eight lines, going into the final six lines, that sestet, is not unusual. I mean, even in the Shakespearean sonnet, you have, a, you have a turn. You have a reversal of some kind. And she's still doing that, but she's also doing that through her, through the pace, as Boland and Strand um, suggest there. So she manages to create all the formal elements of a sonnet, right? A poem of 14 lines, usually iambic. It's a very specific rhyme scheme. You've got the A, B, B, A thing going on here. So you've got all these formal elements in there, but she's able to harness that form into a poem that is very contemporary sounding. Um, It doesn't feel old. It doesn't feel ancient. It feels feels new and it feels fresh in some ways. Yes, it feels sad and it is sad, um, but it's able to express that tragedy and that deep sadness um, in a way that feels contemporaneous to us, which is valuable. And that's the great work of poetry. Let's read it again. What lips my lips have kissed and where and why I have forgotten and what arms have lain under my head till morning. But the rain is full of ghosts tonight, that tap and sigh upon the glass, and listen for a reply. And in my heart there stirs a quiet pain, for unremembered lads that not again will turn to me at midnight with a cry. Thus in the winter stands the lonely tree, nor knows what birds have vanished one by one, yet knows its boughs more silent than before cannot say what loves have come and gone I only know that summer sang in me a little while that in me sings no more this has been the daily poem thank you so much for listening and I'll be back tomorrow with another one